Our modern patriarchal society often celebrates masculinity and encourages risk-taking behaviors, dominance, aggression, and strength when exhibited by individuals identifying as male. This, coupled with the expectation of financial independence and mental strength, is a contributing factor to an increased rate of mental health concerns among the male gender. Welcome to Normalize the Conversation. I'm your host, Francesca Reichter, and today I'm joined by New York City social worker, professor, author, entrepreneur, and public speaker, Melissa Fulgeri. Join us as we dive deep into how patriarchal beliefs held by individuals from all gender identities have influenced the men's mental health crisis. Melissa, I am so excited to have you back for, what, the third time now? You are the most, like, frequent guest. I love it so much. Before we jump into our conversation on the men's mental health crisis, I really just want to check in. How are you really? Well, like you said, you've asked me this question three times now. Um, I mean, we've been in a pandemic for nearly three years. So I feel like you asked me it once a year. And I was thinking about like, I was in the shower this morning today, which is where I do my best thinking. And I was thinking she's going to ask me that question. And I don't know how I'm going to describe how I am. Um, I would say I'm coming out of a month that was very difficult, both personally and professionally. I don't know if you felt that I just got off the phone with a bunch of therapists and we were talking about how intense December felt for people, both personally and in our practices that just like there were so much relational strife. And I just felt that really, really deeply along with getting COVID. So I am like, it's got to I got to be on the upswing for sure. That's how I am. (laughs) Looking at that bright side. Mm, Always. Yeah, the month of December, the holidays, it is so hard for so many people. And a lot of people just don't have an outlet to talk about it, don't really know how to cope with all of the stress that the holiday brings. It's I mean, so much grief and loss and a lot for a lot of people the first time or second time that they're actually getting together with their families again for a holiday, having empty seats at the table, missing people, the financial stress, getting the right gifts. I mean, it's just a lot. And I know today we're going to talk about the men's mental health crisis. So I feel like this is a great segue into it because for women, it's a lot easier for us to say, like, I'm struggling or I like to cry and it to be acceptable. Like, oh, we're emotional. Like, that's fine, which is not really the way I'd like to phrase it. But it's that's how it's perceived versus if uh, an individual identifying as a male starts crying and having that breakdown from all the stress we it's just judged and stigmatized and they're weak and they're being too vulnerable and they need to grow up and stop acting like this. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Me too. I think it's a well-timed conversation too because we we've been seeing in the media especially recently just um suggestions of men struggling. Um you know, we we just watched Twitch um uh, from the Ellen show, you know, this wonderful, um, infectious sort of spirit, um, die by suicide. And I think it opened up a big conversation around men's mental health. We just saw what happened at the NFL, um, and how, you know, the players were sort of forced to continue playing. So I, I think it's a well-timed conversation that we really need to be having. I agree. And Twitch. I mean, you from the outside, I feel like you never would have guessed or seen it. I mean, he brought so much light and laughter to so many for so many years. So when you see that outside perspective, right? The face being put on and all this joy that you think someone has, and to see that their life ends to suicide is heartbreaking. Honestly, the reality for so many people. And yet, the conversation, 
I mean, one thing that really bothered me during the conversation on the news that I saw a lot was the means and not Mm. enough conversation on warning signs, on symptoms, on resources available. The conversation was focused on the word suicide and the means instead of how we can help others who are struggling, how we can recognize and what support is available. Right. Well, we, you know, we have a real problem in this country because we love to intervene after a crisis, but we don't know how to prevent a crisis. Right. So we never talk about warning signs. We grieve people's death, but we shame people, especially men, for being open and honest about their struggles. Right. That's why we have a very um, common phrase that goes man up right? Everyone says man up. Or even if that phrase is no longer part of our regular lexicon anymore, the sentiment is still there, right? The, um, you know, I work with so many men who have never cried or can count on one hand the amount of times they have allowed themselves to cry. And that's a, that's, um, a travesty, Because like you said, women are much more socialized. We're allowed to cry. We're allowed to um, be emotional. And it's, you know, that gets used against us in different ways, right? Because of the patriarchy. But we are allowed to ventilate our feelings in a way that our society is just super uncomfortable with allowing men to do that. Um, we see it as weak. We see it as feminine, which when you live in the patriarchy, being feminine is the worst thing you can be if you're a man. And so, um, yeah, it's, um, you're right. I noticed that too, around the means, you know, that's always the conversation around suicide often is like, you know, what they did, how they did it. Um, Whereas you and I know, you know, because we both have experiences with mental health and mental illness, we know that you can never compare your, your insides to someone else's outsides because people are always projecting their best face forward, especially on social media. And, but, you know, you and I understand depression. And so we understand that it's what's happening on the inside. That's really the thing that matters that people don't always feel comfortable to showcase. Exactly. And it breaks my heart to see how early that trend starts too. Last night I was actually Mm. in an argument with someone and I may have been a tiny bit aggressive, but it's fine. Um, (laughs) I apologize to the best of us and we moved past it, Mm -hmm. but he is 21 getting ready to graduate college and go start his career path. And one thing he said to me was he needs to be the provider so that he can feel in control. Yeah. And for me, I was like, well, money shouldn't equal control, number one. Number two, your only role is not to be the provider. You know, he's so focused on how much money he can make so he can be a provider. And that's a lot of stress. And then talking about this insecurity of if the female made more than him, And how Mm -hmm. he wouldn't be okay with that. And that's just a common theme. That is something that we're teaching. And maybe we're not directly saying it. But society is putting out all those clues, all this context to make men or individuals identifying as men feel that they have to be superior. That they have to be better. That they have to make so much money. That all these things that they have to do and not giving them space to not be the best all the time. Like there's a lot of pressure for individuals identifying as male to be better. And when they can't be the one making the most money in the room or they can't be the provider. I mean, we saw with COVID how many people lost their jobs. That insecurity that resulted because of a societal pressure and expectation were so unfair. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And it's something I work with the men in my practice all the time on this, the myth of the provider or this idea that your worth is tied to how much you can provide for yourself and for your family. And the shame and the guilt and the fear that comes up for men when they feel like they aren't reaching their full potential or aren't providing in the way that they thought they were supposed to is so intense for for men it it breaks my heart because um we're basically telling men this is what you're good for you're good to put food on the table and that's it and unless you can do that and like you said with covid it's getting harder and harder to do that sustainably um, to do it in all different fields, right? We had a major breakdown of the, you know, the fabric of our society in terms of who gets paid and not. And so, yeah, I think what we're dealing with right now is not just a mental health crisis, but if we talk about like men and the mental health crisis, I think you're exactly right that it has a ton to do with this idea that your worth is tied to what you can provide for your family whether or not your family has that expectation, right? Because like, just to give you a quick example from my practice, I was working with a couple where the man had told himself that his worth was tied to his outputs in his career, how much money he made, how many promotions he got. Um, And overnight, one day, and, and the wife, you know, had a lot of resentment towards him and not being able to um, be there as much for her and for the kids. And um, well, overnight, he got laid off one day. And it was this, I had to witness this immense identity crisis of who am I now, if not my job? Who am I now, if not the provider? And I think that's something that a lot of people, but men especially contend with, right? Who am I, if not a husband, who am I, if not a father, who am I, if not the boss, right? And, and to your point about the the guy that you were talking to, I think it's the same question, right? Is my worth, what is my worth if I'm not checking these certain boxes that life told me I was supposed to check? Yes, Exactly. It's really frustrating to see how many people feel like their worth is tied to these boxes and these categories and how many people are so afraid of kind of that shame, right? That someone's going to find out. Someone might find out that the female makes more than me. Someone may find out that I'm not the boss. Someone may find out that I couldn't do all the yard work. Someone may find out this and that somehow makes me less than a man. And I need to be a manly man. I need to take care of everything. And it's okay to not be able to do everything. It's okay to not always be the breadwinner. It's okay to be the breadwinner. It's okay no matter what you can and can't do. If you're a good person, you're not hurting anybody. You're worth so much. And it's okay if that kind of category of where you fall or where you see yourself in changes every day or once a year, whenever, if it just randomly changes, that's okay. Your worth did not decrease. Totally. And and you brought up vulnerability earlier, which I think is a huge part of this is like women since the beginning of time have gathered in communities because women were the ones who were oppressed and continue to be oppressed under the patriarchy, right? So the way that we survived was calling up our girlfriends and going, holy shit, what do you, I just got my period? What is like, what do I do? Right? Like, that's how we shared knowledge. And so, like we were saying before, women are much better set up to practice vulnerability, reciprocal vulnerability, like you do on your podcast, right? You say, How are you really? That's you asking someone to be vulnerable. Right. And we know that when you're vulnerable, you build a real connection 
but we don't let men be vulnerable. We tell them to man up. We tell them not to cry. Um, and so we rob them of true authentic connection because we expect them to stay stoic and strong. And I, I do think the culture is slowly changing, but I know if a man listens to this, they're going to say, or, or some of them will say, cause they've said it to me. Yeah. But women don't like sensitive men. And what I often say to them is yes, because women are some of the best foot soldiers of the patriarchy, yeah. right? There are so many women out there who, you know, will say, well, I don't want my man to cry or I don't, I don't want my man to ask for consent. I want him to take what he, you know, like, I think it's sexier when they take what they want, right? Like, all of that rhetoric is still patriarchal, just because it's coming from a woman doesn't make a difference, right? So women are also prolonging this issue that we're not allowing men to be, to step into their full humanity, which does require them to showcase their femininity, their vulnerability, their um, softness. 100%. And that's a conversation that I never really hear is how women are perpetuating this, how we are not making the space for men to be vulnerable, or we may make the space and let them be vulnerable. And then suddenly we're turned off by it. And we're like, (laughs) or we rip their heads off. (laughs) Yeah. And we also, I think there's this expectation because as females, like I say, in my experience, I can cry and then 10 minutes later, like I'm fine. Same. Like I need that cry and then I'm good. But Same. if you open the gates for someone who's never had a chance to cry, it may take them longer and that's okay. It may even send someone into a small depressive like cycle for a minute until they cope with everything they've been holding in. I mean, when you're holding something in for so long and you let it out, oh my goodness, you need time, you need space, you may need therapy, you need support. You can't, we can't expect someone who's never been allowed to have that space to just cry and then be like, oh, I'm good. Well, forget crying. I mean, sometimes I see men in my practice who haven't ever named a feeling they had in their bodies. You know, like I send, I send a lot of people in my practice was called a feelings wheel. Have you ever seen one of those? Yes. Right. So like, it's a wheel with all different feelings and it's almost like a word bank. If you are struggling to name when you feel guilt, right, you can work with it. And so I'll work with a lot of men to literally just name, oh, I'm feeling worry in this moment. And so a lot of times men are bottling up feelings because they don't even know what they're experiencing in their body. And, you know, just as many times I've worked with men who, you know, are experiencing fear. And I'll say, I think, I think what you're feeling is fear. And they'll say, no, I don't, I don't think that's what it is. And oftentimes it's because admitting that you're afraid is inherently unmanly as our society deems it as such. Right. And, and so, yeah, not only are they bottling it up, but then they're going out there and living their lives with all these bottled up emotions. And that's why, you know, we see things like violence happen and we see things like drug use happen and and mental illness and all of these other things is because People are walking around with unprocessed emotions and they're, like you said, are not letting them out. I mean, sometimes I work with men who say to me, gosh, I haven't said, I haven't shared that with anyone. And it happened 30 years ago. Wow. That's, you're right. A lot of times if no one's talking to you about feelings, you don't know how to, you've never had a chance to really explore them. How do you even identify how you're feeling? I know that's something that I can relate to with my dad when Mm -hmm. he's like concerned about me, when he's worried, you know, I'm not answering my phone or it's off for an extended period of time. When he talks to me again, it's going to come out as anger. Like he's going to start yelling, not because he's mad at me, but because he was afraid. And for him, that's how he's 
fear is now anger because yeah. he's not going to he's not going to cry. He's not going to admit that he's afraid. He's going to be like why didn't you answer? You're not responsible. And it's that's not what he feels. That's genuinely not what he feels. But he doesn't know how to identify that. And it's something he's working on. I'm really proud of him. He comes Yay. to these little mental health things. And I'm like, I'm so proud. But I it's genuinely – I know, right? It's so cute. But it's genuinely something that I've watched him experience so many times when he's sad and it comes out as anger because that's an acceptable emotion for a man. A man's allowed to yell and be angry. Yep. A female can't, then we're hysterical, Correct. but a man can. So when they're facing a lot of emotion, it's a lot easier just to yell and break down in that way than to actually process what it is, what they're feeling, and then admit, no, I was scared and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there was this New York Times article that came out maybe a month or two ago on on the loneliness of men and how so many men out there don't have the friendships that they wish they had and that they're lonely. Um, and this is exactly what we're talking about, right? Because in order to build a friendship, you need some level of vulnerability to start right? Like if you think about kids on the playground, it's really freaking vulnerable to go up to a kid and go, do you want to play? And that's basically what we have to do as adults too. We have to go up to an adult and be like, I like you. Do you want to play with me? But we have to say it in like an adult way. And that's really freaking vulnerable. And if you are someone who society says can't be vulnerable, you're not going up to anyone asking them to play with you. You're gonna, you know, focus on like this Times article set, talks about like, we tell men get the house, get the job, get the partner, right? And so they see those three things as success. Yeah. We never say get a group of friends, get make sure you get on a group text, make sure you join a soccer league, right? We, we don't so much um, put a ton of stock in that for men after they become adults for whatever reason. Whereas women, we grew up with the sisterhood of the traveling pants and the babysitters club and, you know, like all of these um, important movies and books about sisterhood and community and men, there's a lack of that and they are feeling it. It's, it's clear. Yes. You know, I, that's the definition of the difference between me and my brother. We, I was talking about this with him recently, and when he's in class, he doesn't like to do in-person classes because he doesn't know who to talk to. If he doesn't know anyone taking that class, he doesn't want to go in person. He'd rather be online if he's not going to talk yeah. to anybody. He'll sit down in like the corner and play on his phone. I, on the other hand, walk into a class. I open up my phone and I tell, pass my phone around on the first day. And I'm like, everyone put in your number. Let's make a group chat. Let's talk. Let's hang out. Right. And it's just like that's so natural to me to seek community right away and to make friends versus Same. to him, he kind of just shells away and waits to see if anyone comes to him. And I didn't realize that that is a gender thing. I didn't realize that that's based on how we're taught. I was taught to seek community and to have friends to complain about everything with and to complain about our assignments and right. whatever versus he was taught just like, do head well down. and get through. <laughs> yeah. Keep your head down. Keep your head down. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, um, it's the same way for me as well. I seek out community first and like, forget about just onset of building relationships. There's also the mate, mate, maintaining relationships, right? Like there's relationship maintenance that like, you know, I'll, I'll say to men, it's a plant. You have to water it, right? I know you're watering your marriage, but if you want to water a friendship, you you have to water it weekly, right? And and so that's another deficit I see in working with men is like if if there's not an issue with initiating relationships, there's an issue with maintaining relationships, which again takes a different level of vulnerability. It takes Hey, do you want to go out next week? Like that's um 
I don't know what you think about this, but I think in order for a relationship to work, um, whether it's a friendship or a, a relate, um, romantic, like one person has to be vulnerable first. And men are socialized to be competitive. And so who's going to go first, right? Who's going to admit that they miss you first? That's that I see makes a standstill happen. No, exactly. And they're not maybe taught the same communication skills. So as I can know somebody for five minutes and they'll ask me, how are you? And I'll be like, here's my life story. And that's probably like annoying to 90% of people because most people ask, how are you as a greeting? Right, totally. Like it's okay to be vulnerable. Like I don't even question it versus if someone asks like my brother, how are you or my dad? They're like, fine. And then that's it. Because they're not taught that again, that it's okay to be that way. And then when they're with their friends, it's more on a superficial level, right? It's like, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Or you know, I'm frustrated from work today or, but it's never like, I'm so stressed out because life is overwhelming right now. I mean, the economy is bad and money's just not the same, or I'm having difficulty finding a new job and I'm just feeling really overwhelmed inside and I want to break down and I don't know what to do. A female can yeah. say that no problem, but 100%. most men feel like they can't and they should be able to. But without that essential communication skills, other men don't necessarily know how to respond. And even females don't know how to respond to a male who's being vulnerable because it's such like a new taboo situation when it really shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's some psychologist who talks about how men friendships are shoulder to shoulder because they're doing an activity, whereas women friendships are often heart to heart because they're getting a catch up, looking at each other, looking at each other's eyes, right? Which um, it builds different levels of intimacy. Um, So I think that's one thing, especially in a pandemic, like if you were a guy who got your community needs met by doing sports, that wasn't as much of an option, right? Like it it was the relationships that withstood the test of time were the ones where you could call and have a chat and do a FaceTime or text about how you are doing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. And I also want to bring up the point of individuals who identify as male who are gay or part of the Mm -hmm. LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. because that in itself, there's the stereotype and expectation of how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to sound. You're supposed to be so vulnerable or flaky. And then they feel this pressure from society or there's often a pressure from society to act like a man, have to hold it all in and act a certain way that society has made a man to seem and look like. And then there's that kind of constant battle and I want to be authentic to who I am and I have to be manly so that other men accept me into their community. Yeah. Well, I think for men, we still force them into a gender binary um, and a sexuality binary of gay or straight. Um, whereas for women, we've tolerated much more of a spectrum of sexuality, right? Where a woman is allowed to sort of hop along the spectrum a little bit more and can be different types of queer, different types of straight and everything in between. Whereas men, we force them to check a box, right? If you're gay, you have to be feminine. If you're straight, you have to be masculine. And, and that's not, we, we made that up. That's not real, right? There are just as many I remember we used to use this term metrosexual. I don't even know if you, have you even heard that term? I have not. That's crazy. So metrosexual was this dumb phrase to describe men who were straight, who dressed well. Now 
I would argue that's just men. Men have now become allowed to be interested in fashion, interested in the finer things. But for some reason in like the 90s and the early aughts, we were lumping all of these straight men as metrosexual because we couldn't conceptualize a man that wasn't gay, that had a good sense of style. And that's like, in my mind now, looking back, the dumbest thing, right? It's these boxes we're forcing men into that like, you either have to be this way or that way. And those are the men who are raising children now. And because of maybe shame they felt or like this embarrassment, I don't want people to see me this way. Or what if someone has this perception of me that I am gay because I like fashion in just a certain way. And now they're projecting it onto their kids out of fear, not because maybe they even genuinely out of fear not out of necessarily prejudice or bias, out of fear. And it's so hard to see how many young men, how many boys are growing up thinking that they have to fit into this molding category because of bullying that happened 30 years ago that was never communicated and dealt with and coped with. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even what you said earlier about your friend, breaks my heart because I think you sort of hope that like each generation that comes after you is smarter than, and it, you know, is um, learning from the mistakes of the previous generation. So it breaks my heart to hear that someone who it sounds like is your age or similar is saying like, I don't want to make as, I don't want to make less than, you know, my woman partner, which is like just such an antiquated, I mean, you could have heard that in 1950 as well. And so it's sad to me to think that like, even though I do think we've made a lot of progress, there's still so much farther to go on really challenging what's in, what seems to be in the water. Like, yeah, it's in the fabric of our society that we, um, you know, that men walk away with these concepts of who they are and who they need to be. Well, and it just adds so much extra anxiety and pressure. I mean, the world is so complicated, especially Mm -hmm. in today with how much information we have at our fingertips with all the bad and evil happening in the world constantly. You know, you go on the news and there's another school shooting. Mm -hmm. There's just, it's it's a lot to just exist in today's world. But then to have this added pressure that, You've kind of, I don't want to say you created for yourself, but society has created for you to think I have to be the breadwinner, I have to do this, and then I have to be a provider, I have to have control. To want to constantly live up to that standard and bar is so difficult. And a lot of people then would choose a career path that they see as the financial and economic standpoint instead of something they're passionate about and that makes them feel good and makes them happy. So now we're adding not just layers of anxiety, but unfulfillment. And it's just making it worse. And it's unfair because they're not even given a chance to say, I'm, this is just who I want to be. I want to be me. I want to be me and chase after my dreams and not have to focus on the pressure of society. Yeah. I mean, I work with so many men who are in finance jobs, especially who aren't fulfilled, as you said, and have said to themselves, well, I chose a high paying job, right? Because I want the lifestyle. I want the house. I want a nuclear family. And they often are unfulfilled. And yeah, I think it's a very difficult choice to make that's like, okay, well, what's got to give, right? Do I want to give up on the lifestyle that I thought I, you know, was striving towards? Or do I, um, you know, go and rethink my life, but consider that I won't get some of the things that society has designed or society believes you know, suggests you've made it. Yes. 
Exactly. And it's, I mean, this whole conversation reminds me of Candace Owens's Bring Back Manly Men. Mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating because, like you said in the beginning, a lot of times it's females who are perpetuating this and making it worse instead of being supportive. And we don't even realize it because as females, we can't be part of the patriarchy and pushing it. We're a feminist and we're for women. But if you're for women yet against male progress, are you really for women? And are we really moving forward in a society? Or are we kind of forcing things to stay the same? Yeah, I mean, I liken it to, you know, any other oppressive structure, right? Whether it's the patriarchy or white supremacy, right? Like, it's the it's the same sort of principle in that, like, I can, um, I am, I'm not benefiting from the patriarchy, but I have been raised in the patriarchy. And so I have internalized patriarchal ideals, whether or not I want them, you know, even I can still call myself a feminist and catch myself all the time making, you know, with biases that, like I said, were in the water. And so I've had to check myself many times on, you know, um, viewing something, especially like men, if I'm, you know, dating, right? Like, like, you know, you're talking about bring back manly men, like that's still something that's very much a part of a lot of women is like what we want men to do in a romantic capacity is not just, we're not, you know, blank slates there. They, the content we take in, the movies we watch, the way we view sex and who's supposed to do what in sex, that's all steeped in patriarchal ideals that we all are ingesting and internalizing. Yes, exactly. And, you know, now that we bring it up, I definitely did this the other day to my brother. He's going to be so mad to hear that I talked about him all over the podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Rock. <laughs> um, he and his girlfriend were outside and she was shoveling and cleaning up because they were working on the driveway and he was standing there kicking dirt and eating a snack. And I was like, Rocco, man up, like go help, pick up a shovel and like, just be a man. Like you can't let your girlfriend do this by herself. Like it's not her house. Mm-hmm. And looking back at it, like that was so mean to be like, you have to do this. But to me, it was the way I viewed it was based on societal expectations that the man needs to be doing yard work and the female shouldn't be the one out in the sun doing all of it while the man's sitting and eating a snack and watching. And am I against both of them doing it? Absolutely not. But was it frustrating to me to see the roles reversed of what I would expect it to be? Absolutely. And I didn't even realize it till just now that I... And I guess it's catching ourselves when we reflect back to things that we saw or had internalized or felt. Well, and actually, I think what you called out wasn't necessarily bad. It's how you called it out. Like if you said to him, man up, then yeah, probably like catch yourself there. (laughs) But if, if you were asking him to do the same amount of labor as his girlfriend, then that is also in, you know, an issue in our society where women are expected to not only, you know, do, um, child labor, but we're also expected now to be a hashtag girl boss and do all the emotional labor of the household. Right. So like, I probably, if I were in your position, I probably would have said the same thing, maybe a little bit differently. I would have been like, Hey, help, help her. But I would have said it because of that issue that occurs that, you know, men, because they're supposed to be the provider, think to themselves, okay, well, check the, you know, my labor is the career and anything else, especially taking care of the kid is like extra credit bonus time. Um, Whereas women, it's, they're the default parent. 
And now they're also trying to earn as much as men in the workforce. And so they have two full-time jobs. Um, And so, yeah, I probably still would have called your brother out. Sorry, Rocco, part two. (laughs) Should have been nicer about it. This poor kid. I love my brother so much. I swear. But that was such like looking back at it like I should not have said it that way but if we didn't have a conversation like this I wouldn't have even realized that I was genuinely making it worse and being part of a problem in society where you're expected to we consider I consider what to be a man is to be the one shoveling versus sitting there eating a snack and I it also goes into For me and my brother, I am the most unhandy person in the entire world. I couldn't figure out how to use a screwdriver the other day. Like, it's bad. And yeah. And I was like calling everybody I know, calling my brother, just calling everybody. And I was like, could someone teach me how to use a screwdriver? Like, I just need to fix this. I broke the wall (laughs) trying to hang a curtain. Like, it was bad. I thought I was an independent person. Turns out I'm not in that capacity, in the capacity of being handy and fixing things. I'm not. I can't use tools well. I want to learn, but we're working on it. But almost everyone's response to me was, you better marry rich. So if your husband can't do it, you can afford to hire somebody because you're not going to be able to. And that's like, Another problem, right, is that we expect men to either be able to do it and fix everything or be able to afford to hire somebody to do it. And then for women, right. we're like, just marry Rich. Find that man who's going to provide and do everything. You can't do it anyways. We're not going to teach you. Right, right. Like the sexism in that, like if we were to unpack the sexism in that statement, sometimes I ask myself, what didn't they say? Right. And what they didn't say was you could learn how to use a screwdriver. That's step one, probably the easiest one to use. The second thing you could do was you could become rich. Yes. That's what I keep telling people. Right. Why not you? right? That that wasn't even a consideration that you could be able to afford a housekeeper of your own salary. Exactly. Exactly. And it comes back to the point that we expect men to be the provider and we put all this pressure on them to make all this money. And for women, there's the pressure of being the caretaker. There's the pressure, like we said, of that emotional labor. It's the pressure of everything opposite and everything different when in reality we should be mixing the two giving women the resources and tools to take care of themselves as well as men take care of their emotional mental health and not not for either gender to necessarily rely and need the other one to do the opposite work that men can cry or be upset or be afraid or hurt and that's okay and females can fix something and that's okay too. And be angry. Yes. Oh, yes. Women and anger. For some reason, we're so hysterical. I was, I feel like this is my whole life in this episode. Do it. Give me it. I'm ready. I was arguing with someone the other day and like they weren't listening to me and talking over to me. It's the 21-year-old boy I was talking about and Mm. I just stood up to like make my point he's like why are you standing you're being dramatic and I'm like because you're not listening to me I feel like I have to stand up to project my like self over you so you hear me because I'm clearly just sitting down I'm not loud enough or bold enough so I need to stand up over you to get you to hear my point and that is something like it makes me then it's like you're being dramatic you're being hysterical you're being like angry I'm like we're in like a serious discussion and argument over something that I'm so passionate about and you're not giving you're talking right over me you're not giving me a space to have an opinion yeah it reminds me of how a lot of times um in couples therapy I'll I'll hear a husband or a a man partner say something like well I'm the more logical one and my wife is more of the emotional one and what I'll usually say to them in that moment is I want you to consider that each of you have emotions 
she might be better at showing them. You might be better at internalizing your emotions. Doesn't mean you're logical and she's emotional. So you could say to that 21-year-old guy, similar sort of thing, right? Like I'm passionate. I am, I am um showcasing an emotion. The emotion that he is showcasing is resistance and condescension and, you know, being shut down. And like, those are also emotions, right? Like he's experiencing defensiveness, which is an emotion. Your emotion might be passion and anger. He's also experiencing an emotion, but we have learned to weaponize women's icky emotions and call them hysterical or emotional or dramatic. Whereas we have learned to reward men's stoicism. And that's just a suppression of emotion. Isn't it funny how we celebrate opposite emotions for the genders, right? We celebrate so when a woman's vulnerable. She's vulnerable and that's like great. And then the man is angry and bold and brave. And instead of just allowing everyone to feel everything because we all do, like you said, we all have emotions. We have the same range of emotions. We're allowed to. It doesn't make you less than or unworthy or too vulnerable or too weak because you have every emotion. You're supposed to have emotions. That's what makes you human. That's what makes life so miserably great right? Mm-hmm. That you get to like fall apart and cry sometimes. And right. then you, you get, get to, to be celebrate messy. and have just the time of your life and be so happy. But you can't have it without having both. And that's right. what's so great. And we really deprive people based on a gender stereotype from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really, um, that's sort of like what I always hope for is trying to help people be more human, help people be more of themselves, their authentic selves before society sort of stripped them of who they, you know, were destined to be. Yes. And like, who would you be if there was no such thing as like an expectation? There was no pressure before the world, before you were like eight years old, before the world told you who you were and how you have to act. Who were you? What made you happy? Was yeah. it putting on nail polish? Was it right. reading a book? Was it playing a sport? Like, what made you happy? Was it talking or listening to somebody? What made you happy? Whatever it is, no matter what gender you are, it's okay. And you don't have to change based on expectation. Yeah. The most heartbreaking thing from that New York Times article is there's research out there that little boys know how to show each other affection. They know how to, yeah, they know how to be snuggly and be sweet to each other. And we sort of like society beats it out of them. Yeah. And you know, that reminds me of, I think it was like middle school playing dodgeball and two Mm -hmm. boys like got mad at each other and they got to finally punched each other. And like, that was funny and fine because boys can do that and then they're fine the next minute. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was so frustrating. I remember feeling so annoyed that like, the boys, like their way to solve a problem was that they had to punch each other and then they'd get over it. Versus women, we were told we had to talk about it to get over it. When in reality, it really, the talking about it's a much, I I would personally say a much healthier and safer way of processing emotions and communicating. Um, Yeah. But like these boys were taught that if they punched each other, they would get through it. And that's frustrating. I know there's a neurosurgeon. He's either a neurosurgeon or a neuroscientist named um, Sanjay Gupta. And he talks about how the number one way to maintain your brain's health into old age is to go on a brisk walk with a friend chatting about your problems. Wow. I love that. I mean, I do that constantly. 
So do I. So do I. And I think that's maybe why women live longer. It's like we're all just chatting about our shit with our girlfriends all the time. And men are starving for intimacy and for connection and vulnerability and and getting it sometimes from their partners, um, hopefully, right? And sometimes not. Yeah. And I... I personally feel like a lot of times that intimacy for men is just in the form of sex and it's not in the form of emotional closeness. It's not as easy for them to feel like they can open up, that they can bond, that they see intimacy as sex. And that's the extent of what intimacy can be. And it does strain a lot of relationships. It does put a lot of extra I think pressure on yourself internalizing every emotion and why do I feel this way instead of being able to build that intimate communication with your loved ones, whether it's friends or family members or a partner to just say like, I'm not okay today and let's unpack it. Let's unpack it and be close in that way. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a lot of men I work with who get their intimate needs met through sex. Um, And it comes up a lot in couples therapy, especially in heterosexual relationships where the man will say, well, I like to have sex to connect. And the woman will say, yeah, but I have to connect in order to want to have sex. And Mm -hmm. so they'll, there's a mismatch there because the guy's waiting for the sex to connect and the girl is waiting to connect in order to want to have sex. And, and that's, you know, a a difficulty that I see happen a ton. That makes so much sense. And it's so frustrating that that's not a conversation that's had. These conversations are very rarely had and we're not, I mean, I wish in schools we taught communication skills better. I wish that our, communication and literature and reading classes and all that stuff also entails more than just reading a textbook and maybe how to talk to each other and communicate verbally in a productive way that builds relationships because whether no matter what career path you go into you need to be able to connect with people you need to be able to connect with yourself totally because life is that's part of life connections and we're not preparing people for what's to come. We're teaching them. I mean, it's so important to know how to read. I'm not saying like, oh no, we don't need these y'all to read. But I'm saying that we can teach communication in different ways and we can teach a productive verbal communication while we're teaching people how to read out loud as well. Totally. I so agree. I know. Let's fight that fight. We got this. As we wrap up this episode, what is one thing you'd like to say to someone who's struggling to kind of just admit that they have emotions and they want to, but they like, there's that barrier. Yeah. I think I would say, um, shame dies when we speak our truth. Thank you so much for listening to normalize the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. This podcast is an initiative of inspiring my generation, focusing on normalizing the conversation bringing education and awareness to the forefront and amplifying global voices to spark change and hope. Inspiring My Generation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization on a mission towards suicide prevention through awareness, conversation, education, and support. Connect with us on Instagram at inspiringmygeneration and visit our website inspiringmygeneration.org to learn more about our work and how you can make a difference.